0: Hey friends, we've got a great episode lined up here for you today. Sean Morgan, frontman guitarist and lead vocalist for the South African-based rock band Seether, stopped by to break down the writing, recording, and release of their smash hit Remedy, taken from the 2005 album Karma and Effect. Sean spoke of being a young artist struggling with who he was as a songwriter, amongst managers, producers, A&R people, and label executives, all telling him what they thought his music should sound like. He broke it all down in a super interesting and most humble way and how this all fed into the inspiration behind this particular track he mentioned that he didn't know everything during this time period something that a lot of younger people have a hard time admitting and entrusted producer bob marlette with guiding him through the process a hefty payoff ensued as this tune remained the number one song for eight weeks straight on the billboard mainstream rock tracks chart for all this a hilarious story about a record producer who let everyone know they were beneath him and a whole lot more. Stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard Krista makes a podcast? Hey, hey, have you heard Krista makes a podcast?
1: Sean, how's it going? I'm good, thanks, man. How are you doing? Bit of a slow start, but I, I feel like I'm here now. I'm present.
0: You you are <laughs> present. Uh, yeah, I just uh, found out that Sean is over in uh, the Nashville, Tennessee area. I'm here in Knoxville. I told him we should have just you know, driven
1: and met in the middle to, to, to do this thing. I'm constantly surprised by how many people have moved to the to Tennessee area. Nashville's obviously exploding, which is which is more than I was happy with. I've been here for eight years now. And even in that eight years, I've seen just this massive influx of people coming in, especially a lot of musicians from LA that used to live out there that have moved in here. So it's a big community building, and it's no longer just country, you know what I mean? It used to be just like, it was known as like the country music city, and I'm sure you understand, you know that, but man, oh, there's a lot yeah, of rock the, and metal guys here now.
0: Yeah, the dr- drummer of my band uh, lives in Nashville, and, and uh, w- what I've seen happen there in the last 20 years is remarkable. I think uh, I think Knoxville's next. There's a lot of stuff going on in uh, downtown with building and whatnot, but yeah. I... Uh, want to uh, give a little bit of uh, a background for the listeners right now for Seether. Uh, they're, they're a South African-based rock band founded in 1999. Uh, the band performed, this kills me by the way, Sean, the band performed under the name Sarin Gas until 2002 uh, <laughs> when they moved to the U.S. and changed it to Seether to avoid confusion with the deadly chemical <laughs> known right. as Sarin Gas. And something, I, I've made it through like 80 episodes now, uh, Sean, I've pride myself on never asking a band's, uh, what the band's name comes from because I yeah. think that's the laziest Ever uh, question you could ask <laughs> in this case, though, yeah. uh, Wiki- Wikipedia, which you can't always believe, uh, says the name came from the popular '90s song by Veruca Salt. Seether, is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because when we when we had okay, seren Gas was picked out of a, a hat. Basically, we were doing demos and we we had we had a sound effect CD and, and there was a bunch of weird titles and words. So we just picked our five or six favorites, threw them in a hat, and drew out seren Gas and that's what we went with. We had no idea at the time that it was in any way, you know, some sort of toxic gas or whatever. We just thought it was funny. And I believe at the time. <laughs> Karen meant something to do with like spiritual love or something in, in a different language. And, and this is what we were told. So we just ran with it. We thought we were really deep and really cool. Uh, and then we moved to this, you know, we got the deal with, with wind up records and uh, I think it was like September, uh, Ju- was July of 2000. Yeah. July of 2001 actually. Um, and they, they said, you yeah, look, you know, the, the band's great and everything, but we've got to change the name. And we said, fine. Okay. I mean, you know, we will kind of treat this as a, as a, a brand new step, a new chapter in the band and you know, turn a new page and, so then it was the thing of, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's tough enough to come up with a band name the first time. That's kind of cool. You're like, yeah, this is great. And you finally settle on something. And um, so this time we were like, oh, God, God. And, and for some reason, I really wanted a, a word with an S or a phrase with an S. And so we had, you know, we went through a couple different variations. we well, Stonefly was one option. And I was like, man, that's terrible. Uh, but that's because Dale's a, he's a, <laughs> he's a, he's a fisherman. So, he, you know, these stone, stonefly nymphs sort are of a thing that they fly fish with. So he was kind of into that. And at first I thought it was cool because soulfly was a thing. So I was like, well, we, we can kind of fit into that fly category. But yeah, when when we had to pick a name, I, I basically just said, Well yeah, you know, I was bored and I was listening to old CDs that, that I of bands that I liked and I always really, really liked the 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 grunge girl bands like L seven, Veruca Salt. Uh, Babes in Toyland, all those kinds of bands. Yeah. And so I was listening to Veruca Salt. And I was like, oh dude, Scylla's a great name. And because and at the time I thought it was really funny and I didn't think anybody else would know, but there was another rumor that was swirling around it is that when they were singing the song they were singing about their vaginas. And I was kind of like, well, that's funny. So let's call ourselves vagina. So that's <laughs> kind of where it came from, but, but you know, it kind of tied <laughs> into with, with the idea that, you know, we, we were kind of an angry band and seething. And so, I, I mean, to me, it was kind of, it, it was cool either way. Because we 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 didn't honestly think we'd be here this long, so we said let's just let's just throw out a fun name and, and do it for a couple of years and we'll go back home. So that's basically how we picked it.
0: Well, if we ever do a show together, I'm gonna uh, thank you from the stages give it up for Vagina tonight. All right, <laughs>
1: yeah. I like I like
0: it. Uh, <laughs> Sean, <laughs> Sean, and I love Veruca Salt and I love Seether. I love that song. Uh, Sean is the frontman, vocalist, guitarist, and founding member uh, of Seether. Their first album, Disclaimer, was released in August 2002, and that album had three singles: Fine Again, Driven Under, and Gasoline. Fine Again achieved significant success, and was also featured on Madden 2003. The band toured constantly, including a world tour with Evanescence. They reworked their acoustic ballad Broken to feature Evanescence lead singer Amy Lee. See, there's follow-up album, Karma and Effect, was released in May 2005. The album debuted at number eight on the U.S. Billboard 200. The album spawned three singles, Remedy, Truth, and The Gift. And of course, we're going to be uh, breaking down Remedy today, which reached number one on the U.S. mainstream rock charts. And it was their first number one hit, with uh, at this point, 2021, 58 million YouTube plays. Uh, congratulations on on that success. Thanks, man.
1: Yeah, I, the YouTube stuff is so weird to me that, that that that's become a thing, right? That that's a metric <laughs> for, for like band success. But uh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you.
0: <laughs> no, it's uh, that that's that 58 million plays is pretty awesome. Uh, the album Karma and Effect. This is also awesome. Was produced by Bob Marlette. Now, Bob his productions are, are unreal and how he has been able to traverse from the 80s when he got into uh, producing and writing and he's an accomplished composer and keyboardist. He's unreal. Uh, but his production writing and mixing credits include David Lee Roth, Ozzy Osbourne, Alice Cooper, Rob Zombie, Sebastian Bach, Rob Halford and Leonard Uh, And then of course he became famous for producing hit records for post-grunge and alternative bands such as Saliva, Shinedown, Seether and Filter. So uh, his career has just been unbelievable. How did
1: you, how'd you Meet Bob? I think that was a record company thing. As as most of the early producers were, um, when we first came over in 2002, we worked with uh, Jay Baumgartner, who was basically the ANR guy at Wind Up Records' best buddy. So he was sending all of the bands that way. And it was kind of like every every windup band went to NRG. So it was Us, Evanescence, uh, Finger 11, I think Drowning Pool recorded there too. And we all kind of went through the Jay Baumgartner School of Production. And then the second one, they wanted to try Bob Marlette because um, I think Jay's studio had kind of taken a turn because for a while the NRG was the spot in LA. You know, I, mean, I don't know if you'd ever been there, but it was you know, us yeah. as, as green kids going in. They were like, "Whoa, you mean somebody goes out and gets us a burrito if we get hungry?" It's like, "Yeah, that's great." You know, it's like you, you feel you feel so special, and you know, that's, that's nine layer bean dip. Yeah, dude. <laughs> but that that studio was kind of you know it was outfitted to the gills, so it, it was it was a it was a, a nice experience. But I met up with Bob. Um, I don't know how the introduction was made but i think again it was a label thing and you know usually when you get given a producer you you kind of go through the catalog and you see if it gels with what you want to do and you kind of listen to what they've done and i liked what he had done i mean he certainly had a great catalog so i ended up i went over to his house and so we met up and, and then I, we did some writing in his in his garage little studio that he had set up and that's basically uh where i wrote uh, remedy and a couple of other ones from that album and we were living at the oakwood in la at the time so it was it was a really kind of depressing time because the oakwood (laughs) the oakwood's not a fun place to live
0: (laughs) we like to refer to the oakwoods as the jokewoods folks yeah
1: yeah (laughs) it's known by many names man but it's it's a yeah so we we were we were there and um you know we 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 recorded that album at larabee and i think we did the drums at a&m and then we did the the rest of the stuff at at larabee i think uh north which is i think the one in the valley and we had to we could walk from the oakwood to the studio every day so it was kind of cool and he was definitely a, an easy guy to work with um he definitely does knows a lot about composing he has a lot of ideas musically yeah. um but yeah you know it, it, that was a long time ago and then we we actually did part of that album too we we did it at um uh, we did it in New York at one of those really famous studios uh, mostly used by rappers. I forget what it's called now, but it was, you know, so it was like, it was this really sort of disjointed process. Was, I wrote some stuff at, at Bob's garage, did some stuff at A&M, did some stuff at, at, at Larrabee and then did some stuff in New York too. So it was kind of all over the place, but it was a cool experience. He's again, he's easygoing. He's got a pretty good work ethic as far as, you know, you know, producers—they like to start at noon. And Bob, I think, was kind of a, n- a noon guy. But we go till about eight or nine at night. You know, a lot of guys were like, "Oh, wait, six p.m. Let's go." You know, call it a day. Yeah. So it was nice to have longer days. And you know, these days when we do albums, we start at nine a.m. and we go till ten p.m. So we we, we try and get as much of a day in as possible, for many reasons. One being, you know, once you start working, you want to get the ball rolling and you want to keep going. And the other being, you know, you want to you want to have less days in studio because it's like the days of of, of record companies saying. Yeah, sure. Go spend five hundred thousand dollars on making this album. Those are long gone, <laughs> and and thankfully technology yeah. has progressed to the point that I can make most of the album in this room that I'm sitting in. But yeah, he was he, he was good, man. He was he was fun to work with.
0: Well, the reason I brought Bob up, you know, when my producer Chris, he had been uh, talking to your publicist, and Chris hit me up, and as he always does weekly, and and, and says, "Hey, what do you think about Seether?" I said, "Heck yeah," you know. And he said, "Well, what song?" We started researching. You know, thought we'd do Remedy, and man, this production. Does not sound dated at all. I mean, I I was thinking in my head, oh, this probably came out 2012 to 2015. I was shocked that this song came out in 2005. You know, it it yeah. still it it still sounds big and current, and and that and that's sense. really cool. And uh, much like uh, some of Bob's other productions, I think I think his his production is great. The band uh, see the release five more albums since the release of Carmen Effect. Finding Beauty in Negative Spaces in 2007, Holding On to Strings Better Left to Fray in 2011, Isolate and Medicate in 2014, Poison the Parish in 2017, and your latest, and I'm going to take a stab at this, see if I I, I could pronounce it. Uh, See this? Passem parabellum
1: in 2020. Cl- that's not bad. Yeah, it's Siwis puckum parabellum. <laughs> it's,
0: ah, what so, the heck does it, that mean? That, that's that, that's another podcast, that's right?
1: A, that's a lot closer than than I've had so many DJs tell me, like, "Look, dude did you have did you have something against us that we have to say about what we're saying?" <laughs> I was like, "Destroyer, do parabellum." Uh, yeah, it just means you know, it just means if you want peace, prepare for war. And and I it was when I was looking for the title for the album, it was this was uh, sort of end of 2019, beginning of 2020, before all the everything ground down to a halt. And I just, I, I just felt that, that it made sense for me as far as uh, the lyrical content of the music and, and, basically a lot of the, a lot of the, the music itself. I just, I just felt like this was a good way to, to sum up everything I was trying to say. And then, you know, then everything shut down, and it kind of was like, oh wow, this is starting to sort of feel like it applies a little bit more. And I don't know, just as, as the year and a half has gone by, it just feels like that, that the title was in some way, it, for me, it, it probably the most meaningful one we've had in a while, just because it wasn't meant to mean very much it was just supposed to be sort of like a you know a snapshot in time and now it seems like that that snapshot has become a lot longer than it originally was supposed to be yeah.
0: Well, in the forty years of the Billboard mainstream rock artist charts, Seether is number eight of all time. On October fifteenth of this year, they released Vicennial, two decades of Seether, which was a career spanning compilation of the band's greatest hits. So, number eight, man, that's that's impressive. Congratulations hey, again.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's it's those are fun things to see. It's 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 not something I, I put much stock in, but um, it's nice to be up there because. You know, it's it's something cool you can hang on the wall one day, and I can and my kid will think I'm awesome because I was in the top ten. I was <laughs> like, oh wow, Dave was number eight. That's great. I don't know how old your kid is, but it it mine's only four right now, and she's she's very difficult to impress. And I, I feel like the older she gets, that'll only get more difficult. <laughs> so, mine's four as well. We're right, we're right, oh, we're right, right
0: there. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and
0: and thanks for being humble. And I I I only say this, and I congratulate you because that that is impressive. It's something you, thanks, should be, you should be you should be you should be proud of. Thank you. But. Uh, we're gonna jump into the song now. Uh, Remedy is is three minutes and thirty one seconds, and I just wanna I just wanna start by asking you do you, Do you remember writing the song?
1: I think at the time I probably had about five or six songs that were done, and obviously you want to have. Anything from twelve to fifteen before you go into record, so you can have something to, to sort of pare it down to an album length. So I just started tooling around. That guitar that I played it on was actually a John Five baritone tele, which back then was a was a brand new thing. And I was like, he's like, check out this guitar, my friend John Five. I said, oh, like, cool. cool. So I started playing on it, and I was like, man, this thing sounds amazing. So I think I plugged right into his his lap his his his, his, his computer and just started messing around with riffs and everything. And then I I came up with a riff and I was sitting there and he's like, oh, that's great, let's let's work with that. So I I started, you know, I kept playing it. And then he, there was the first time I'd I'd ever seen anybody do really well-programmed drums. Like I had, on our first album, when we did demos, we had a guy program the drums for us while we were gone during the week and then we'd come on a Friday night and we'd do two or three tracks. We'd pay him in, in McDonald's and then we'd leave and then we'd have this sort of you know MIDI drum thing but with with us playing guitar and stuff on. So I'd never seen it done before. So I was the first time I was blown away by, it, wow, these drums sound pretty killer for for you you just tapping away on your keyboard. And I think it's because of all the years of samples that he'd collected. So he had all these great snare sounds and kick sounds. Anyway, so it made the experience a lot more fun because I'm like, well, this sounds like a real drummer playing, so let me just keep going. So just ran with the song and basically wrote it you know, in about 10, 15, 20 minutes uh as far as the the music goes and then i think went back a few days later with 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 vocals and 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 uh lyrics and that's basically it was just done in his in his in his little uh, garage studio and i think that for me though sometimes the less you think about a song and the more organically it sort of just arrives yeah you're just playing and you because sometimes i'll sit up here and i'm like oh i've got i've got to work i've got to do something because i haven't done something for days so if you're not inspired you just sit here and you can you can play guitar for like two hours and literally go man i got nothing uh, other days I'll come up here and I'll have, you know, three, four, five ideas will come out and, and I can, I can get a pretty good idea of where I'm going with him. And that was just one of those times where it was, I, I don't remember what else I wrote in that, in that space of his, but that was one of them that, that I specifically remember, remember, cause it was, it's one of those where it's like, wow, this riff, I don't even know where it, where it came from. It's like, I don't know what, it, whether it was the, just me messing around and him going, yeah, that's cool. And then, then being inspired by these really big killer drum sounds, but it really, yeah, it sort of, it, it came together pretty quickly and quite organically. So I was happy with it. I, you know, I was, I was like, I, I I figured it was kind of the the sort of riffy but also melodic kind of song that I wanted to write for the band. So at the time it was it was it was pretty exciting because it was a new way for me to work. I'd always, I'd always mostly written by myself, like I do now. But uh, you know, that, that's only our second album, so we were still so young, man. We, we still didn't know what was going on. We still didn't know what we were doing. I barely knew how to run Garage Band, and I think it had just come out, so it was this brand new program. I'm like, oh wow, this is cool. <laughs> Let me get digital then, because uh, I, I, up until that point, I was still using tape cassettes and and, and, and sort of you know playing, recording on a tape cassette, and then either playing another tape next to it, and then you know doing that sort of overdub thing, or I was just just keeping those single those single tapes going, and I would I would try and come up with a song and try and record an acoustic version of the entire song onto a tape cassette so i would have it so for me and this is the the
0: the old the old recording struggle was real
1: man right (laughs) it's like so it was it was honestly now and now that i think back to it it was almost 20 years ago it was like it was i think it was like 2003 end of that maybe 2004 and it was kind of weird seeing all this this stuff work like that because i you know it felt to me like we'd hit the big time because even in south africa when we recorded some stuff in a studio, it was all analog. There was, there was not really much that was done on computers. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty cool experience.
0: That's cool. Well, this song is super fun to play and I may have to write uh, some more songs in drop D. This song's in drop D flat tuning. It's basically the, uh, the main riff of the song is just barring with one finger mm-hmm. and uh, the order I get these arthritis in my thumbs <laughs> isn't so good. So yeah. barring full chords, all my fingers, I might have to take a, take a bite out of this, but uh, <laughs> man, this riff is so, is so fun to play. I, I uh, kind of figured Thanks, it man. out and uh, laughed night it's really cool feedback starts off immediately this feedback comes in immediately the main riff of the song starts that i was just talking about by itself for seven seconds at the eight second mark there's a straightforward but powerful cracka cracka i put my notes which is the (laughs) snare drum the snare drum and the kick that comes in and the full bands in it's just a big thick heavy sound From 15 seconds to 21 seconds—that's when the guitar lead comes in, which again is super fun to play. This, or if I took took me a minute, there's some cool string bends in, yeah. in there that, <laughs> that, that that happen. Uh, and that leads us up to the the 21 second mark, and we're into the first verse. So up to this point. The original demo and when you were writing the song with bob was it pretty much the same or or was there any changes
1: yeah no it it was it was pretty much what it was that solo is what it is because at the time you know i i i we were a three-piece band so we didn't have a lead guitarist and so really a lot of the stuff i wrote was kind of more along the lines of the the new metal type stuff where they would they would have you know the bridges would be more sort of like a, a riffy breakdown type of thing And maybe a vocal rather than a solo because I I didn't have time to play them and I honestly wasn't very good so that solo I just played because I was like well I like this bend it sounds pretty ugly but at the same time it's got melody so I kind of ran with it
0: ugly is a good word it's a a dirty solo it sounds mean
1: (laughs) well and you know the feedback ties into that too and you know it's interesting a lot of producers do not like feedback at all they when they produce they want it to be clean and crisp and glossy and shiny and they'll gate all that out yeah of course you know just just compress it all to this big fat flat line but um i've always really enjoyed that side of music you know my, my i was inspired by nirvana i was inspired by pearl jam when i was a kid and i really got into rage against the machine as i got older but i always for me as well when i would watch live performances i loved the the sort of the chaos of of trying to rein in feedback that's constantly trying to get out of the gate. Right. So it's like I never had a noise gate for the first, I don't know, five to six, maybe ten years of, of playing live. So it was always it was I always controlled the noise with my on and off switch on my on my channel. Um, and then I got a noise gate, so I could, I, I wouldn't have to do that. I, I would have a different device to do it. But I, it's always been a really big part <laughs> of the show. And even even today, in the newest stuff, we use a lot of we, we use feedback where where I think it makes sense. As far as if you're playing and it and it you know and, and the guitar feeds between like in a stop, I think it's I think it's cool to keep it there because if you, if you tidy it up and clean it up too much, I think it becomes a little sterile. Um, but yeah so that's that was it it was it was start with a feedback sort of set a tone and then have that that big drum fill to enter the riffs great I think and then you have that that sort of that sort of ugly melody sort of um, bendy thing which I think all kind of set the set the tone for the rest of the song so it was it was all about building because you, you know uh, someone told me years ago it was like you want to have the kind of song that as soon as it starts, everyone knows exactly what song it is, right? They want to know, oh, this is that song. And there's no waiting around like, oh, is this what I think it is? Or, or there's no sort of, there's no question as to, okay, this is the song I want to hear. And this is the song that's playing now. So let me let me crank up the volume. And that was kind of, I think, a subconscious idea behind the intro was, just, was to make it one of those songs that is instantly recognizable. And and, um, and even today still, we, we end... Pretty much most of our sets with that song because it's the one that people love to really see live. It's one of the it's one of the bigger ones, and it's a good way to end the set because you kind of put that big old full stop on it and say thank you so much for coming out. Here's that song that we wrote, you know, <laughs> eighteen yeah. odd years ago.
0: And I bet you played those European festivals where people are actually singing the whole crowd singing that guitar riff, yeah. which that yeah. blows my mind when when you hear the crowd sing the guitar riff. It's like <laughs> wait, you're supposed to be singing the singing the lyrics. Yeah. It's, it's so cool, but that riff it's all the pull-offs mm-hmm. the in-betweens you know that that's what makes that riff and it's it, it's it's really awesome at the 21 second mark we're in the first verse you doll- Your dollar bills and leave your thrills all here with me mm-hmm. and speak, but don't pretend I won't defend you anymore. You see, it aches <laughs> in every bone. I'll die alone, but not for you. My eyes don't need to see that ugly thing. I know it's me you fear. What's yeah. going on here?
1: Well, if you listen to if I listen to back to you saying it, uh, you know, I, I, I never really uh, back then would, would take too much time to think about lyrics, I would really just do more of a subconscious stream of thought process and just write stuff as I was going. So I'm assuming, and I could look it up as I would, I would have the original demo somewhere, but even the original demo would have some sort of placeholder melody with sort of just with cadence. So I would know what I would want to hear at the end. So when it came to actually recording a lot of these songs uh, and actually most of them through my career, I I would wait until right before going into the studio to do the vocal. And then I would sit and write the lyrics out Knowing in my head, okay, this is how I wanted to, you know, this is how I wanted to gallop along the line. This is the melody line I'm using, and now I've got to fit this all in and have it all make sense. And I think at the time, we'd had such a bad experience with the A&R guy at Windup Records, because he was, you know, he was, he was kind of a prick as I think a lot of them are, especially when you don't understand. <laughs> I was going to say, an a r guy be a prick? You're, you're well, kidding, yeah. right, Sean? Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, these days we have, a, we have an amazing a r guy. But back then we, we dealt with him and then the one after him was, was even worse, I'd say. But anyway, he, yeah, I think he inspired a lot of that because he kind of went out of his way. And then the, su- the subsequent guy after him as well kind of went out of both of their ways to say, hey, you know, you suck at this. You need to let Me or one of my friends come in and write for you because we know what we are doing. And then, you know, and and basically they all want to dip into the publishing. And um, if I listen to a lot of that now, there's definitely reference to me feeling a, a lot like a product, understanding the dynamic between... Label and band is not a friendship. And it, it, it may come across that way, but it's, it's never a friendship. It's always a let's go to dinner, but it's then a, it's, it's a business. It's, yeah, and then they sign your name on the back, and then you have to pay them back, right? You have to pay every cent back. And I think, I think a lot of that was just really me f- feeling out where we, li- where we fit in the world. And it's, 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 I mean, and that could re- apply to relationships and things too. But it, I think because for me still being so young, I think at the time I was about 24, maybe 25 and still kind of trying to figure out my way in this business and, and still like, and going, wow, well, we're still here. That's great. So let's just keep writing. It's, so there's a lot of inspirations drawn from it, but I think on any given day you can say, okay, that was about this person or this thing or that situation. And then some other day we're like, oh, well, that may Maybe it was about that. But it seems to me when you when you say it that way, it, it, it was kind of, you know, I think even that first line in some way at the time would have meant, you know, th- they throw money at something, but they don't really believe in it because why would you sign a band, right? You sign a band from South Africa, you fly them over, you, you relocate them, and then you spend the rest of your time trying to change what they sound like and and what you know, what who they are, right? <laughs> it's like, you will add a, 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 a touring guitarist, you will do this, you will change that. And you go, well... Well then, why didn't I thought you, you like me, honey? Why right. do you want to wear this different dress? <laughs> exactly. Why don't you go find that band and and then and, and do whatever you want to do with them? But you know, it, it's it, it takes years and 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 um, album after album before you start realizing you can, you can push back.
0: That's interesting, and you're you're not the first person that has brought up a lyric on this show. That it was dealing with some of the the turmoil and confusion of what was going on with their relationship with the a r guy, the producer, yeah. the label. That's interesting that you, you know, because reading this verbatim, it almost, like, to me, there's a number of things this could mean, but the fact that it was kind of uh, a stream of consciousness that you were just kind of throwing down and being yeah. able to reflect down and go, you know what, it, it may have been about all this. That, yeah. That's
1: neat. Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, there's definitely, angle, there's definitely elements of it in there because it was such a, th- those were the most important people in my life at the time, as far Whereas uh, you know I'd been married and divorced already, so i really I was just this guy trying to figure out wh- where I, again where I fit in the world and and the people that the label they smell fear and they sense weakness very quickly, so if they they'll you know they'll they'll put their thumb on that bruise as fast as they can, and that's kind of what it was that you always you always felt like you were walking around on eggshells with, with labels because they always make you feel like crap about yourself. You know, they none of them, and again, now we are at a label where it's the complete opposite of that. But I spent the first 15 years of my career being told how much I suck. So there's a lot of songs <laughs> I think where, where, where subconsciously that kind of crept in, you know?
2: Hey, everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to make the podcast after these messages from our sponsors. If you're looking for an inexpensive and unique gift for a friend, family member, or even for yourself, check out iloveenamelpins.com. From Hollywood stars like Jeff Goldblum and Meryl Streep to fictional characters like the Golden Girls or Jack Torrance, to sports stars and musicians and politicians and dogs and cats, there's something for everyone at iloveenamelpins.com. As an added bonus, Use the discount code Demakes at checkout to save 30% off your order at iloveenamelpins.com.
0: And now, back to the show. When the verse comes in, there's like this Tom drum breakdown with a cool string picking pattern on the clean guitar. And that's throughout the whole verse. About halfway through when you get to the third line, it aches in every bone. Another chuggier guitar almost panned off to the left comes in right there. kind of yeah. just, you know, just add, adds a little something.
3: You sing, alone, but not for you.
0: I like that harmonies and they're, they're haunting harmonies in this song uh, come in on the very third on the third and fourth lines here. And it goes all the way up to the fourth line. I know it's me. And then the last thing here you say, you fear. There's no harmony on that. Do you remember, was that something that Bob uh, was talking (laughs) about in the studio wanting to do? Or was that something you wanted to leave a harmony off there?
1: I will say, after all the years of working with all these producers, Bob was a pretty, pretty good... Uh, a big fan of dynamic and 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 little things like that can make a big difference. Like, you know, to the average person, it might not make a huge difference, but he was kind of into the nuance of things. And whenever you did stuff like overdubs, he made you think about it in a way which I had never thought about because when I was in a three-piece band, overdubs weren't important. And, and you know, the, the reason why we did a lot of stuff in Drop D was because if I was playing just with with my my finger on the on the, the top three frets, I could add my my ring and my pinky and and, and really fill it up with you know with the uh, sort of the D chord shape. So I, it could sound like there were two guys playing. But at this point in time, we had a, we had a member in the band called Pat Callahan. So there was there was writing the stuff. It was it was quite conscious that we were trying to include the second guitar part in that. Really, I think a lot of it was modeled off of if you looked at the dynamics of Smells Like Teen Spirit. It, it, I think it follows quite closely to that sort of blueprint where you start off without with the exception of starting off clean right but the, the, we came right in and then you have that soft soft loud soft loud dynamic because that's just something that I, as, as a kid you know listening to the pixies listening to nirvana pearl jam all of those kinds of bands it was just to me that was the stuff that i loved is like when you hit a chorus it's make it a chorus let's make it big yeah, make it loud, yeah you know and really really have a dynamic shift so i think the harmonies and, and for me, it's always been a thing too, and to this day, I still like to bring in a harmony around the third or the fourth line, um, and then depending on how you transition from the the, the, the verse into the chorus, the, the, then you can you know you can sort of mess around with ideas there. And then you know for a while, the trend was you have to have a pre-chorus, right? So that that became like you have to have a change head, has to die. And I was like, yo, that's cool. I, mean, I can get into it. We can and we did that for a, for a few years. We, we would have the the, the prerequisite pre-chorus. And um, you know, then it then it sort of became that sort of felt a little hackneyed. But I think little things like that, like in this particular place, you know, you fear it's just one small subconscious way to say, okay, there's there's, there's a change coming without doing a massive drum fill or without doing, you know, um, you know the, like I said again, the pre-chorus that that you know, okay, well this is the thing before the other thing happens.
0: Yeah, well that and that that's what I love so much about doing this podcast is these nuances and they fascinate me because I sit here and I go why that's why I always ask "Well, who did that why was there because yeah. in this instance it it adds a little bit of there's some personal thing going on with just saying you fear by yourself it's right. not it's not the harmony on there it's a little more personal which leads into at the 54 second mark what I'm calling the pre-chorus which Sean right. might be the shortest pre-chorus in history at three <laughs> seconds uh- <laughs> you know, me The line is, if you want me, hold me back. And I'm back. That is just Sean alone with a feedback guitar, and also yeah. on that line, uh, the drums switch to a straight beat from that tom beat, which is in the verse. And uh, the big stereo guitars come in. I say big stereo guitars because they're they're there, but then when the chorus hits, they get even
1: bigger, yeah. which is awesome.
0: <laughs> but that's what I that's what I'm calling the pre-chorus. Would you consider that part of the verse or the pre-chorus?
1: Yeah, I'd say I'd say it's probably like, like a tag a pre. I mean, I guess you could consider it a pre-chorus. It was like you say, it was a short one. And it, it didn't quite follow the formula which came after that on a bunch of albums and with a bunch of bands where you had to have a, you know like a, a four bar pre chorus we at least we at least we nipped it and kept it real short there but I, I would say that's that's probably the pre chorus yeah
0: I like it because the again the guitars come in there okay yeah. it, it gets heavy but then it even gets heavier when the chorus comes in and yeah. that and that's really <laughs> that that dynamics cool at 58 seconds now we're in the in in chorus number one. Thrill, the skin is dry
3: never fail and so we go back to the
0: remedy the frail the skin is dry and pale the pain will never fail and so we go back to the remedy clip the wings that get you high just leave them where they lie and tell yourself you'll be the death of me uh, there's harmonies throughout this whole thing except on line two Back to the remedy. It almost sounds there like maybe the vocals are double tracked on the lead yeah. vocal, and there's no harmony there. I, I it was kind of hard to tell how how it's mixed. Is that what's going on?
1: Yeah, on all the choruses, uh, Bob was a big fan of, and 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 still to this day, I like to double stuff in the choruses. So in most of the stuff we do, there's the the, the main melody is always doubled, and and often the harmony is doubled as well. Because when I'm when I'm doing demos. I like to do the main vocal just slightly panned left and right. And then I do the harmonies panned hard left and right. So that if you're listening in headphones, they kind of sit behind your head. You know what I mean? So it it feels like, feels like you got this, this 360 situation going on. So that's definitely doubled. Yeah. And then that was something I didn't even, I I never understood until I came to the States and, and understood that. That's how you get that really big full sound, and and it, it's a small, it's a, it's a, it's like, you know it's it's not a particularly clever trick now that everyone knows about it, but I think it's so it's so effective because it does create it's sort of like you say the chorus gets bigger not only with the vocals because they're getting doubled, but the guitars then also got doubled. You know what I mean? So yeah. you've got yeah. all of this stuff, and, and it's it's the old uh, the guitar orchestra, right? It's like where well, you have to have you, you have to have it's like you have to have. The, the riff and then the double of the riff on this side and then the, the riff on this side and then the double of it on, on the right hand side and then just in case you throw one down the middle just if, if he's feeling saucy and then oftentimes even sometimes we would do a subsonic uh riff that was the same riff but it was you know it was tuned a whole step down so and that that sort of came later for us but it's a it's a trick to make it feel bigger and 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 sort of fill the gaps that that are there in the verse, and I, I think it's effective, especially if you're listening in headphones or if you're listening on speakers too, because that's my favorite. Is to sit up here and, and crank stuff loud enough that, that the neighbors complain. But yeah, it's it's a it's a nice way to sort of elevate it without bringing too much extra noise and sound into you just really sort of just by doubling or sometimes tripling the tracks you can create this huge sort of wall of sound and in those days when we were recording with with Jay and with Bob, and even when we did with uh, with Brendan O'Brien, there was no tracking. You know, the, your your three guitars at the same time. It was you would track each one separately. So it's like, okay, well, let's do oh, the Marshall, yeah. and you do the Marshall, then you do the Mesa, then you do then you do the Bogner. So you go, okay, cool, now we've got those three. Then you go, now we have to do the other side. So there was never anything like where today we'll do Bogner Mesa and camper, and we'll do a clean line just to have four that we can then say okay, cool what do what does this need to blend everything together so it took a lot longer back then because you, you literally you can play one song the entire day because you've got to do you know eight yeah. nine ten parts that's kind of the idea was just to make it sound bigger by doubling the vocal as well
0: yeah no and you can hear all those stacks or the vocal stacks and the and the, the musical uh, stacks it's it, it, it's awesome and this chorus is catchy as hell, and you know you you touched on Nirvana. Uh, you know Kurt double tracked all his choruses, or a lot of them. Definitely Teen Spirit yeah. and some of those songs. And this chorus, man, I'm telling you, this this chorus sounds like it could have been off uh, something off in utero. It just reminds <laughs> me of that that period of 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 Nirvana. It's just uh, thanks, man. Really catchy and really cool. And you can Thank you, you can tell that you were a big fan.
1: I was very much inspired as a kid. I, I mean, I, I, Kurt inspired me to pick up guitar and learn to play guitar. First song I ever learned was Polly. And Nevermind was a very, very influential album to me when I was about twelve years old or thirteen years old. So it certainly was back then And, and this, you know, this was this was this was th- that album we recorded probably about um 10 or 11 years after that. So I was still very, very heav- heavily influenced by the Nirvana dynamics. It's funny, if I listen back to some of the Nirvana stuff now, the guitars were not as heavy as I remember them as a kid. They're actually not that heavy at all, which is interesting yeah. because the heaviness came from the combination of everything, you know, Grohl's drums and the bass and the guitars. So, because he's got like an, an overdriven single coil, you know, strat sound basically. And these days, it's everyone's got humbuckers and you've got your massive tube amps rocking, it's crazy how, I, in my head, I would hear you know, something off of Nevermind being so big and so loud and so heavy. And if I go back now, it's actually it's actually far more nuanced than that, which is interesting. And there's no overdubs. You know what I mean? In the chorus, it's just the guitar. There's no there's no like fiddly bits at the top of the. You know, it's just it's just it's the meat and potatoes of the song and the vocals. And I I I really really. I find it interesting that in today's music, it's almost like it's expected that there's a lot more going on than just the the fundamentals of the song, right? So Mm -hmm. even in Remedy, there's not a lot of overdubbing no, there's no, there's no fiddly stuff in the chorus. It's, it's just the riff and the vocal, basically.
0: I want to comment on that. That's a great point for the listeners. When he's talking about fiddly stuff, you're talking about little noodly guitar parts yeah. panned off to the right speaker, or to the left, or this yeah. little counter melody that's going on. I mean, this is right. pretty, pretty straightforward. I love that it comes out of the chorus straight and breaks back down to that tom drum breakdown uh, with that clean guitar picking. Be
3: the by the fire and play a while but you can't stay too long it aches in every bone i'll die alone but not for pleasure i see my heart explode it's been eroded by the
0: weather yeah. uh, the lyric is i don't need a friend i need to mend so far away So come sit by the fire and play a while, but you can't stay too long. It aches in every bone. I'll die alone, but not for pleasure. I see my heart explode. It's been eroded by the weather here. I love this. On the back half, lines three and four, it aches in every bone. I'll die alone, but not for pleasure. I see my heart explode. It's been eroded by the weather here. The third and half of the fourth line, there's harmonies. But whereas there was only two words not harmonized in verse one, this whole line it's been eroded by the weather here there's no yeah. harmony it's yeah. just you alone again was that something that that bob said Let, let's lay off that or did you have a harmony there that when he went to mix it it just did, didn't make the record or how that how that happened do you recall
1: yeah i know that, that would have been definitely a bob call because again we were still very much in awe of the process and didn't really have too much input creatively back then even it's, it's funny to say But in the early days of being a band, there's some bands that come out and say, no, this is how we want to do it, and they get away with it, and it's great. But it was our experience that... Whenever we, we we sort of pushed back against the producer, they would be very you know, resistant against it because they wanted it to be their product, right? It's not it's not your album; it's their album, and they know what's best for their album as opposed to you knowing what's best for yours.
0: Did you ever hear this one, Shauna? How many hit records do you have
1: on the wall? Right. <laughs> Dude, we had a we had a no. We we had a we had a guy that that went as far as. When you walked into his recording studio, <clears throat> on the door, as you walk in, there was the number of albums he'd sold that week across all of the bands that he'd recorded. I was like, God, as, as, if, as if we don't know, but now, there's, a, there's a daily reminder of the updated sales. So there's, there's yeah. guys out there that, that'll definitely throw that at you.
0: Can't get much more in- intimidating than that. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> the reason I called that pre-chorus one before, Sean, is because, uh, again, it comes back. Uh, if you want me, hold me back for three seconds. Yeah. Me, me back. I did notice here, and I think it's cool, because it's not cookie right. cutter and paste, which I'm assuming this record was done in Pro Tools. Yeah, it was definitely Pro Tools. Right. So a lot of times with, with Pro Tools, we can just fly parts from the first chorus to the second chorus. Uh, the feedback is different here.
1: We basically played it from start to finish, because that was kind of what the approach was for us, is what we wanted to do, was um, have it be as organic as possible and not do any kind of flying around like in some sense back then we, we still were, we were kind of treating it as the purest experience because we wanted to prove that we could actually play and so we approached everything by playing it from if we could play it all the way through that's how we would record it otherwise you know we, we would punch in or whatever but we, we definitely liked to play as the song rolled on that's why you would have variations and feedbacks and variations in guitar accents and it was cuz you never really want to repeat that cuz i think it might again not be that obvious to the untrained ear but i think people that know what they're listening to will go oh hang on they just flew that and i think yeah. you, you i think you can get away with that sometimes but for this for this we really wanted it to have its own dynamic every time and 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 not be something that sounded Clearly, like it had been flown around because of because I was just trying to save time, you know.
0: Right, and I've talked about that on the show before, where you can just get a, a good first take of a chorus and just move it over to chorus two with the with with the click yeah. of a mouse, and, and and that wasn't done here. And I think that that's uh, that's refreshing and that's cool. Uh, the one minute and forty six second mark, uh, there's a double chorus now. Thrill, the skin is dry, pill, the pain- Basically, this is just the first chorus, it's doubled. You know, there's quite a few lyrics here. It's not like you're you're saying Remedy over and over right. again as, as one word or one refrain. And the double chorus here, was there ever any other lyrics like for the second half or did you always want it to be the same thing, same lyric twice?
1: You know, I thought about changing it. I've often had songs where I would have a chorus where it doubles but it stays the same but or I'll, I'll try and get clever and, 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 and write some new lyrics for the second half. But if it doesn't beat the first half, then I, I'd rather just repeat it, you know what I mean? And, and then sort of, and, and repeat the sentiment of, of, of the lyrics. Because for me, it's a game of, if you say one thing, you got to, and if you're going to, if you're going to double up, you need to sort of push the, the idea or the emotion. You have to elevate that slightly. And then ultimately in the bridge, you want to elevate the entire thing and bring it all together. And then... Um, Sort of finish off with it, yeah, with the, the chorus again.
0: Also, what I was saying too is, is I think there's enough information. here. Yeah. you know, if <laughs> yeah. you're gonna, if, if well, if if you're gonna do a double chorus, the back half of it, it's got to be at least as strong or stronger than what you said before. Right, right. And then you then you run the risk of losing the listener. You know, is is it still hooky enough? Yeah. And I think that this warrants saying it twice. I think it's perfect.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I also learned from there was a woman, um, the the producer that we worked with, very the, the very first guy we worked with in South Africa. He his ex wife wrote music as well. And man, her lyric sheets were like novels there was just so much she never repeated anything the choruses didn't repeat there was like she was just constantly putting so if, if you hear the song you hear the first chorus by the time the second chorus comes along you don't know what the lyrics are going to be and she never she never repeated stuff and i thought it was kind of cool in a, in an artistic sense but i i just couldn't wrap my mind around because i want something to hold on to and and and, and, and sort of sing along to right and if, if you keep changing it on me i feel like it, it's too much hard work to remember these lyrics i mean i have a hard enough time remembering my own words <laughs> as it is um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, it, I can I can relate <laughs> So I, I think in this sense It was one of those things where it's like Don't overthink it, just it, let's do a double Because it, it feels right to put it here And then let's just repeat the, the chorus Just because, um, like you said, I think enough was said That really when you do a double You're sort of just trying to drive that point home You know what I mean? You don't have to bring some, yeah. some other new idea Or other thought in Especially because the whole thing is really dealing with The idea of You know, drug and alcohol abuse Being driven to it and trying not to be driven to it, and trying to you know, and trying to get away from it all. So I think in that sense, it was really it was really about driving again that point home of, of you know this son of a bitch is, is is making me miserable. So I'm trying to I'm trying to make this point and, and, and really get that across, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, at the at the two minute and sixteen second mark, I love the departure that happens here. We're in the bridge, and the guitars go to like a straight strumming pattern uh, with new chords here, and this section it doesn't sound like anything else in the song. Everything else is just kind of brooding and and the the staccato guitar parts. And here it's kind of straight. And it's just, it's a great departure here. I love the super low buried haunting backing vocals here. I think it's great. Um, And from two minutes and 31 seconds to two minutes and 37 seconds for six seconds, you hold out the word in. (laughs) The lyric is hold your eyes closed. Take me in. Hold your eyes closed. Take me in. And the last in you hold out over the intro guitar riff. The intro guitar riff comes back in there but the guitar is broken down to just one guitar. It kind of gets small there. Yeah. And then the guitars come back in with the band and the intro riff is still going. And that, that original lead part, that lick, yeah. that bendy lick at the, the intro riff, that comes back in, but it, it expounds on what it is in the intro. It kind of tails off from there and does a little bit more of a solo, which yeah. again, it, sa- it sounds dirty and, and, and mean. <laughs>
1: Again, it's also it's just it's the limitations of my creativity at the time. It's like, hey, I can do this. Don't ask me to shred, man. I can I can certainly do these couple of notes. Sometimes for me, you can you can introduce an idea in the intro and then wait for it to come back, and and it's something that's it brings that familiarity thing back in. So the whole idea of having choruses have the same r- r- lyrics and, and occasionally changing them up in the second half of choruses and things. But for me, a lot of music, w- what makes it interesting is the familiarity of some emotional connection to the lyrics. And you like to hear them repeated because they mean something to you. And... Every time those lyrics are repeated, then you can sing them, and you can and you can yell them, or whatever whatever your response is. Um, and I yeah. think that's true for most music, really. But th- that to bring that solo thing back in, I think it, it made sense, just because it, you know I, I really like the way it sounded in the beginning. And in the beginning, you get a short version of it. It's like it's like a little hey, how's it going? Check this out, right? And then here it's more of a. I think it's like an eight bar or a f- well maybe it's four, but whatever it is, but it's it's longer.
0: Yeah, it's like two measures. Yeah,
1: so it's 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 kind of more of the just really. And then you know when it just sort of wails at the end that sort of it's it almost sounds like something's in pain it sounds like you, you're trying to create something you know orally that sort of drives the point home too so that bridge lyric it's about feeling like i'm getting screwed over by by the a&r guy and, and, and the record company and all that stuff so it's just a it's really from from the the, the, the lyrical perspective is from their side to us. The solo thing at the end was kind of like to sort of expand on that idea of this this what, what what oftentimes with them would feel like a painful experience, and it was kind of a, a, a you know not not traumatic in any sense, but it was a tortuous experience, because dealing with those people that are that got their heads so far up their own asses, it's like it's difficult to have conversations when when somebody comes in and they from their perspective, their view and their opinion is the only right one in the room, and that that was never that never faltered. It was always when you write songs and you have ideas, it's like nope, no no you're wrong. This is how it should go, and so I, I, for me a lot of the times and. and and again, more we dig into the song, which I've never done before, it, it it's more and more about how I felt like we were just a product, and it didn't matter how we were, what we, how our lives were going, what was going on mentally, what was in any sense going on. It was all about you are our thing. You will do as you are told, and then you'll get on a bus and go tour for two years. You know what I mean?
0: Well and I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up and it's uh, it's refreshing and it's humbling again for you to say something like that because most artists and bands that I've met over the years and I've been doing this for a while we we all do this because we love music. We we loved it since we were young. We're doing this for music first. It wasn't about money and fame and right. being in the magazines or on TV, right. okay, and here you are sitting there questioning all these suits around you, telling you how your songs <laughs> need to be. And you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've met very few people where I can go, you know what, that band's a sellout. We're, we're all still cut from that cloth of like, right. hey, you know, like you said earlier, you signed my band, what's wrong yeah. with me now, <laughs> you know? But uh, I, again, that, that solo, it did not need to be pretty it, it, it had to be dirty had yeah. to be what it was I think it's great The other thing I marvel at here, Sean Is from uh, the 2 minute and 38 second mark yeah. All the way So basically for the last minute of the song Up to 3.31 As we get into chorus number 3 At, at the 2 minute and 54 second mark But the last minute of the song basically Is the chorus riff well, The to get you high Just leave them where they lie And
3: tell yourself
1: Yeah, <laughs> so you're
0: coming out of this guitar solo. Yeah, and I and and as I'm analyzing the song, I'm going, wait a second, it's the same riff. Yeah, how is this chorus gonna feel like it got bigger and it? Because it, usually <laughs> the the bridge is a departure. You want it to yeah. be different chords going somewhere, which it does for the first half. But how is this chorus gonna work? And somehow it does. Somehow it seems you don't do a key change or anything None. here. But the chorus seems like it lifts on chorus three. That's very interesting. I've met very few songs that start off the the chorus riff leading into the last chorus of the song. That's yeah. that, that's intriguing.
1: Yeah, I, I mean I think again it's one of those it's one of those kinds of riffs and and the song is is so short. You know, it's it's exactly what an A&R department wants at that, that that's 3:30, right? It's like if they can cut off a couple seconds here or there they will. But <laughs> I, I think it's just one of those things where again if you overthink it sometimes you you can do the song a disservice, right? It's like you can you can certainly go, all right. And we've done that. We've on subsequent albums with 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 Brendan O'Brien, we would overthink some things, and he would make us do these weird chord changes, and, and it's like, okay, cool. And, and even sometimes, uh, you know, uh, you, you'd you'd go a step up for that last chorus after the bridge, and it's 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 cool. It's not something I'm 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 accustomed to writing. It's not it's not how I write, but it was it was cool to to sort of experience that and see, okay, cool. Yeah, that's one thing I don't necessarily like to do, but I'm going to try it this time and. And see if it works out.
0: Well, I mean, I'm sorry, but on on, on paper here, this shouldn't have worked.
1: Right. <laughs> this shouldn't it shouldn't have worked going into the third quarter.
0: You know, the third chorus shouldn't have lifted like it does. Usually like, okay, here comes the chorus again. It's like, wait a second, we're in the same chords. How is this gonna work? And it does in this song. There's a there's some kind of genius going on here that I'm still trying to figure out after listening to it for I mean, I've heard the song over the years, but really diving in the past couple of days and going, Wait a second, how how is this working? And it's it's great. You know, you get into chorus three at two minutes and fifty-four seconds. It's another double chorus. Yeah. Everything's basically the same here. Halfway through though, when you get the double chorus, the drums go double time on the snare here. Kind of seems like there's some urgency leading up to you're leading up to something, which is the last line here. You say that last line without a harmony, which again is a a very personal lyric. You'll be the death of me. And on the words death of me, the whole band dun, dun, dun. Yeah, <laughs> and the song just the song just ends.
3: Tell yourself you'll be the
0: you know, it's kind of like yeah. it makes a, it makes a pertinent statement. Was this kind of what it was like originally, working with Bob in, in his garage, or was this something that uh, you you did in the studio, or was this kind of all? How it always was.
1: I I would have to go back and look at the demo on that. Occasionally, even in the early days, and even now, occasionally we'll be in the studio, and and I, you'll you'll call audibles, and you'll go, no, let's let's try this there, and let's change that up, and sort of really confuse the drummer for about fifteen minutes while he figures out the, <laughs> the, the, the end. They love that. <laughs> yeah, they love they, that. They love change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I've been playing this for six months, and you you thought it was yeah. fine then.
1: Yeah. No. <laughs> so I think. Um, if I if I remember correctly, I, it probably just ended on a sustained note, uh, which would be kind of par for the course for that time um, when we were writing. So I think that may have been a big sort of you know, ring out note. But I, I think when we were, when we got into the studio, and once you have a lyric, if you have a lyric that that sort of you know, "You'll be the death of me" is kind of a great way to end the song, and it sort of really is the point of the song, right? It's like that's that's what I was trying to say. So to have it at the very end as the full stop at the end. And and, and that to be the point and then have it to to be in such a vulnerable way without all of the other noise around it, I think it's pretty effective. I'm not sure if that was the original way it ended. And and I'm actually, without having complete lyrics and, and a fleshed out idea, I'm fairly certain it wasn't. So that would have been an in the studio call saying, Hey, well let's how about we do this ending instead and make it more of a more of a you know, drive the point home. Because you could say you'll be the death of me and have that note ringing, and it just wouldn't be as powerful, I don't think.
0: Yeah, That's exactly what I said. I think it makes a statement.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think it just it just
0: it comes to a screeching halt. And I think the lyric the lyric warrants that. I think it's great. Yeah, thank you. Um we're gonna wrap up here in, in a moment. I, I just wanna first off, just again, congratulations on all your success. I wanna thank thanks, you for jumping in the hot seat with me today. No, it thanks was, for having uh, me. <laughs> Very interesting to, to to go through this song. And if you'd like to leave the listeners right now with anything you have going on, there has coming up, uh, l- let us have it.
1: We have uh, an EP coming out early next year, which is the third installment of Seawee's Puck and Parabellum. We just released the Wasteland EP uh, a couple months ago. And there's, so there's a third part, which is basically, it's the five remaining songs of the 21 originally recorded for the album. And then we couldn't figure out which ones we wanted on the album. But I knew we wanted them all to come out. So that's coming out. I have nothing but about nine months of, my, of, of time on my hands right now because there's no touring for us until probably July of next year, it seems. So I'm going to start working on the next Seether album. And then, you know, next year would be the 20th anniversary of Disclaimer. So we've got a whole bunch of things happening right now. So it's I don't know what the calendars look like and, and what's going on, but there's going to hopefully be new a new Seether album. I mean, it depends on how the writing goes, but it could be it could be as early as the end of next year or the very early part of 2024 Three, I'd say, um but yeah, there's a lot going on. We've it, it's funny we we did a short run of three months this year, and it was great to tour again, and it felt amazing. And now we're just back home again, sort of treading water, and it's like it's it, it it puts you right back where you felt before. You're like ah yeah we got oh, okay cool. So we'll just I guess we'll just wait around until we get to do stuff again. So that's kind of where we're at. So I, instead of you know wallowing in self pity this time, I'm gonna turn all of that all of that misery from 2020 and the first part of 21 into the next album for Seether. And who knows? I I mean, I might start working on some solo stuff too. Again, I've got so much time on my hands and I've got so much sort of pent up creativity because I didn't really do much for a whole year and a half. Cause I honestly, it wasn't that I had any kind of creative break or anything. I just didn't feel like doing anything. I just, I just basically, I wanted to be as, as present a dad and a husband as I could be, and, and just try and be there as much as I could for, for my wife and my kid. And that was difficult, you know, because of the routine was like, okay, go, six 6.30 is bedtime, right? That's when we crack a cocktail, have a couple cocktails, go to bed at like 10, wake up at six, you know, 6.30, uh, you know, it's like, hang out with a kid again. You know, so it was like this, this cycle. So I didn't really want to be away from that because the, the, the blessing, the, the silver lining of the whole thing was I got to see my kid go from somebody that was sort of mumbling a couple of words to now being this really clever little, Stubborn sure. little smart ass that she is, um, and it's so th- that was amazing, and, and it, I, I'm really glad that I got to have that because if that hadn't happened, I would have been gone now for well over a year, you know, and only being home yeah. sporadically, and that would have been that would have been way worse. So I could take, you know, I would rather take all that burden on myself and and still be here. But yeah, so as far as See The goes, that's what we're doing: new EP early next year, uh, and then probably looking at new music within the next year and a half or so
0: well uh, that's beautiful that's how i approach it you, you look for the blessing uh yeah. blessings within the disaster so <laughs> absolutely exactly but uh man best of luck to you to you and the guys I, I appreciate you being on well thanks man i really appreciate you having me it was awesome
2: hey everybody don't touch that dial there's plenty more chris to make the podcast after a few words from our sponsors Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice.
3: As we near the end of the show,
0: here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and bio to you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Truce, a four-piece hard rock band from Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, consisting of Spencer Davis on guitar and vocals, Redmond Kang on lead guitar, Alex Lemieux on bass and Daniel Mills on drums. Their debut album just came out on Halloween and you can find all their music at linktree slash truce music. Here's a snippet of their song, Home. The Wrap with Chris and Chris.
2: Well, that episode was great. Sean was a super humble guy, and I can't help but love listening to a guy with a South African accent talk. I can't help it. It's great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now nah, he was he, he was awesome. I, I had quite a few laughs during that, and uh, very, very humble, very gracious. Yeah, man. Hey, there are so many things he talked about in that episode that I don't know that
2: we've talked about in the rap before. But one thing I noticed was when he was talking about producers or just musicians in general – who are really good at programming drums in real time. And Chris, I know you have a lot of experience programming drums now with doing all your custom songs and doing demos for Less Than Jake songs. How quick are you at programming drums now? You're probably pretty good, huh?
0: Well, I'm 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 quick now because I you know, mostly I use the Logic drummer and now yeah. I'm learning how to fly different sounds into that and I'm I'm trying to expand my my Program drum vocabulary. But yeah, it's it back in the day. It was, you know, especially 2005. It was it was difficult to program drums. You had to really know what you were doing. And I saw some of these guys. I mean, the guy that worked on uh, in with the out crowd, he was doing some drum stuff that was just like I was listening to some of the stuff that he was working on. uh, Paul. Uh, unreal yeah absolutely unreal what, what they could do so I'm, I'm nowhere near near the level of that but but yeah it's it's definitely a an art form you have to know what you're doing
2: it's cool watching a producer I remember watching Mark McCluskey just in the grid within the programming programming drums so quickly <laughs> and they sounded yeah. great you know it's a real talent it's a real cool thing to uh, witness for sure another thing that Sean touched on in this episode that I thought was really cool. And I know this relates to Less Than Jake and a lot of music in general was having that opening to a song that is instantly recognizable. Like if you were on Name That Tune, you could go, I could name that (laughs) tune in two notes, you know,
0: and I know that you have a lot of those types of songs, but this song is definitely like that, too. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to put it in, in layman's terms for those non-musicians possibly listening to the show right now, but uh, the song's in drop D flat tuning. It's just the second fret. You just bar it with your whole finger and you, the first chord is your fingers on and then in between it, you're lifting your finger off, hitting just the the open notes. And it's really easy, but it's, it's like you said, it's instantly recognizable. It's such a fun riff to play.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you guys also touched on, which I thought was funny, the prerequisite pre-chorus like that thought process (laughs) that yeah you have to have an intro verse pre-chorus chorus chorus, like there that there's this formula to songwriting that you have to follow if you want to have a hit song to be honest man when i hear those songs that follow that exact whatever a b a b type formula i get bored you know and and it's it's the uh
0: differences from that formula that makes music interesting to me. But maybe that's just me. Well, and Sean even said it, you know, this pre-chorus is is actually like a tag on the verse. It's only three seconds long. But I called it a pre-chorus because that exact lyric happens before chorus one and before chorus two. So it really is a pre-chorus, but not in the traditional sense. And I think that... He didn't want it to to have uh, the cookie-cutter pre-chorus prerequisite. I, I, I think that that maybe is why it was, it was that short. And I think the setup's perfect for uh, leading into the chorus.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: And, uh, you know, he talked about having something to hold on
2: to as far as repeating the chorus or repeating lyrics in the song. And I do think that that's important. I think, you know, it's funny. First things that come to mind, man, is like recent propagandy albums where it's like the songs are just like a run-on sentence it's great but are you gonna be able to sing along that might be kind of difficult you know so you do need those things to sing along to and Chris I didn't I really I'm trying to think if I've experienced this but you brought up like playing in
0: other countries where
2: people will sing the riff have you experienced that?
0: Yeah, I mean, Europe, they'll they'll in England they'll they'll sing the horn parts, they'll sing the guitar oh. riff in Gainesville Rock City. You know, they'll they'll actually sing that as I'm playing it. Uh, Japan does that too. Yeah. And it's a it's something you don't see too much here in the states, but when it happens, it's unreal. And I can actually see people humming humming the riff of this either song. And he he agreed. I I didn't didn't check out any live videos of this, but I can almost guarantee a European audience has, has done that to this song.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't experienced the crowd singing like a guitar lead or anything but i know that when we've been to japan we've experienced the spontaneous hey 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 were you oh, did, yeah. you didn't even encourage the people to do that yet it just happens to the beat and you're like whoa i know you've experienced that a million times chris but for for a little old me that's a real thrill
0: <laughs> no it's it, it's a rush every time something like that happens it just it, it gives you a, a the what the heck moment and you're like what is what is going on i love that you know, I had preconceived notions of what this song was about. And this is like, I, I'm trying to recall who it was on the show that was talking about the, having uh, aggravation with the record label, the producers and, you know, like they're, they're stepping on my art. And, and Sean was pretty vocal about that. I also thought it was funny when he talked about uh, the producer that uh, basically lets you know before you entered the studio how many records he sold that week.
2: That is, <laughs> that was one of the weirdest stories. Like I haven't experienced that. I kind of feel like if I would experience that, I'd be like, all right, I'm out of here. I,
0: I yeah, don't know, man. Some,
3: I like humble some of these, people.
0: <laughs> yeah, some some of these guys, and I've heard producers say, you know well, how many gold records do you have on your wall and Jeez. you know you, you, it, it that that's a rough one to come back with because I would look at them and go uh, well I don't have any right I mean, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't invalidate me as a songwriter a musician or a human being but it's hard to argue that point uh luckily I haven't had uh, maybe one or, or, or two producers like that most of them are are in there as, as a team player but you'll get some of these guys and usually it's at the uh, the 11th hour the witching hour you've been working for nine hours and you just you, you know everyone has an idea what the bridge should be and finally the producer goes it's gonna be this how many gold records you got on the wall sometimes it's warranted very, very, uh, very few and far between.
2: I guess if you hired a producer and you're shelling out the cash for their (laughs) for the job that they can do, you want them to have a little bit of an attitude about how good they are. I suppose I personally prefer humble people. And I felt like Sean was very humble, especially for a band that has achieved the massive success that they have. I thought he
0: was a very cool, humble, down to earth guy. That was great. I thought he was great, too. And, you know, uh, he had referenced Nirvana a lot because I, I, I was afraid to bring it up. I know that they've you know, they gotten uh, labeled as just Nirvana wannabes, especially for this song. But if you check out the rest of their catalog, it's not just a, a Nirvana ripoff or something like that. And this song, I, I meant it graciously. This could have fit right in somewhere on In Utero. I mean, it has that vibe of that time period and uh, just a, a, a really good modern rock radio track. Yeah, and I would take saying that a song sounds like it could be in in utero
2: as a very good compliment. (laughs) You know, if you told me that, I'd be like... Thanks, man. I think that's kind of what he said, too. So I don't think anyone took any
0: offense to that. No, not at all. And, you know, this band, I, I, I said it at the top of the show. I, I was thinking, yeah, this song probably came out 2012, you know, 2015, maybe. Uh, I was shocked. 2005. They've been been around for 20 years now, this band. I don't know where the time went, but uh, they're uh, they're doing something right, man. They got They've been doing a uh, 20 year career is uh, nothing to laugh at.
2: Yeah, definitely one of those bands where if you weren't that familiar with them, you might be like, see there yeah i've heard of them but i don't know but then once you start going through the songs you're like yeah i know that song yeah i know that song yeah i know that song uh they're just they're one of those bands for sure and that's just a
0: a credit to their massive uh, mainstream success which is awesome and speaking of mainstream success chris We can't get much more mainstream than our Supporting Cast VIP program.
2: It is the most mainstream Supporting Cast program there is, I would say. (laughs) And, uh, hey, it's the holiday season, and one thing that people might not know, Chris is that you can give the gift of the Chris DeMakes a Podcast supporting cast to anyone you know who you think might enjoy the After Party podcast or might enjoy the opportunity to be a contestant on Defeat DeMakes in the future or to get discounts on merch or just support the podcast in general. If you go to ChrisDeMakes.com and you click on Gifts at the top, you can give someone the gift that keeps on giving
0: year-round. Absolutely. And we want to thank each and every one of you who has joined the support cast VIP program. It is growing by the week. Uh, your generosity is awesome. As Chris always says, it, it, it keeps the podcast going. The podcast that you know and love keeps us motivated to want to do more. The Defeat to Makes music trivia show, we're going to have another one coming up soon, has been just uh, so much fun putting putting that together. And uh, we, we know from the feedback from you guys that you've been enjoying it as well. And I uh, can't say it enough. Thanks to everybody who's joined our Facebook group, the Chris to Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We have a, a blast in there. And if you haven't joined uh please do man we have a lot of things
2: planned now and just as you were talking about supporting cast whether you're part of it or not the interaction and support from everyone that listens does seriously get us fired up and the plans that we have for this coming year to take this podcast to the next level are very exciting i am very happy and fired up about the things that we have going on chris and we're going to start rolling some of those things out here soon and uh, that's all thanks to you who is listening to this podcast
0: right now. So thanks. Absolutely. You, know, you kind of let the proverbial cat out of the bag a little bit, Chris. I am so jazzed to start talking about all the stuff we have coming up. We can't let it out just just yet, but we have so many great things at the top of next year that we cannot wait to share with you, the listeners. Thank you so much. Hopefully you have a wonderful rest of December because we are in holiday month. You're going to see a lot of crazy relatives. I try to avoid my crazy relatives as much as possible, and they try to avoid me because I'm, I'm a crazy <laughs> relative to them. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Right on. Well, again, thanks to each and every one of you for listening. We appreciate everyone. And I want to thank this week's guest, Mr. Sean Morgan from Seether, for sitting in with us. We'll see you next week.
2: Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce.
0: And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB.